Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Hello, hello. Mel, how are you doing? Doing good, doing good. We um, just finished uh, a big week with uh, our co-op. So we are part of Classical Conversations and we just finished week 12. So we literally don't have classes. They don't resume until mid-January. So that feels good to that, cross I that bet. line. You, you hold a major responsibility with, I don't think people understand, Classical Conversations is a homeschooling co-op. And so what you'll do is you'll educate your kids at home and then once a week come together with all the other home educators in that particular co-op and uh, kind of do it all together. And Mel is the director of that entire co-op in her area. Yeah. That's huge. In, my little, in my little town. Yeah. So my responsibility is to get families to be a part of our co-op. I handle all the finances. I prepare all of the art and um, science experiments for the entire year. So, wow. um, and I just kind of, and I hire all the, all the tutors. So it, it's a big job, but I've really enjoyed it. It's well, been really good. I'm telling you, we've enjoyed it as well. And, you know, we can talk about our decision as to why we decided to homeschool, what, why you decided to homeschool. Um, but I will tell you, Mel, we have, we have brought home a newborn. We've had him home now. Cohen, David Parker Blackburn, super excited about that. Mm. Super excited about his name. Come on. That's a strong Sweet baby name, right? boy. It is. And part of the adjustment that we've had as oh, we've had him home now for over a month is I'm homeschooling the kids through How's that our been curriculum. For you? <laughs> well, you know, I'm uh, sleep deprived and trying to teach. So it's really good. No, I enjoy it. Education is something I've been passionate about always because my mom's a, an educator. She, uh, is a professor of early childhood development now, but she has been a teacher for my whole life. And so I think it's something that runs naturally in my blood, but this has been a whole nother ball game, Mel. This yeah. homeschooling thing, like, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it, but I am interested in knowing your thoughts on how we don't want to take like a stand. I don't want anybody to feel, you know, one way or the other, if they, you know, feel uh, judged if they don't homeschool or anything like that. We're not going to necessarily say you should or you shouldn't. I think to each person, they have to recognize the calling that God has placed on their life. And there's so many contextual things that make up that decision. But what's what's the reason you guys decided, hey, we're going to home educate our kids? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you know, my I started getting a, I felt called by God. I mean, honestly. And I do not believe that, like you said, like a homeschool is one size fits all. I mean, I honestly was super pumped to put my kids in public school and mm -hmm. um, just be a light in the dark place and um, just everything that that entailed. But God had other plans for us. And it really for us began whenever um, I was going to put her into kindergarten and um, it was all day. And I was just like, man, that is a long time for a, a little girl. And um, at the time she was going to a Christian uh, preschool. And I just, as I was making observations and talking with her teacher, she would tell me about all these just great interactions that she would have with my daughter one-on-one. -on -one. And if she ever got a moment with her by herself or something, um, Lindy mm. was way more talkative. And I was like, goodness, like it makes sense that um, she's just going to operate better one-on-one. -on -one. And and so, honest, and I couldn't find any um, 
school in the area that did half day kindergarten, um, they really discourage it. And so I was like, I, for us, it started as, okay, I think the Lord's calling us to homeschool kindergarten. And I always made that caveat because I never wanted to homeschool and I never <laughs> I was wanted about to, to ask you that. Is that like, are you kind of cut from that cloth? Is it like, Oh, homeschooling to my blood. I really no. want to do this or no. Like, well, I mean, I worked in the corporate world before I had kids business right. being, you know, I'm a business major. That is way more natural being a stay at home mom, being a homeschooling mom. is just, <laughs> it's so funny. The Lord has such a sense of humor, but, um, whenever we started homeschooling her the first year, um, I just saw how much she learned and how much she grew. And, um, and so in the front of my, uh, homeschool binder for me, mine, um, I have my three whys and it's to enjoy our relationship, uh, to perceive truth and to preserve wonder. And, mm. and I hope that that is not conveyed that you can't have those things happen. If you send your kid to a private or public school, that's not the case at all. But for me and my daughter's relationship, I felt like these are the reasons that I really wanted to do it. Now, um, is it hard? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, can I get a break from these children? I know. You know? <laughs> it is kind of hard to flip modes, isn't it? You know, you're like, I mean, I've just found in the past couple of weeks as I've been doing it, I'm trying to, I, dad mode for me, my dad hat is a different hat than my teacher hat. And I can't really, I don't know if I can necessarily communicate to you how or why, but like there are certain ways I interact with them as, a, as their teacher and certain ways I interact with them as their dad. And it's hard to flip those modes and it's hard to remain patient throughout flipping those, you know, in those transitions because you're with them all oh day long. Oh my goodness. Well, I will tell you last year, and maybe it's because I taught her how to read last year and that all of, I mean, I want to give every teacher in the world a great big hug because that is yeah. no easy feat. Right. Um, but last year, I think, and I, I would say give yourself tons of grace because we really didn't find our groove until year two when we realized, mm. okay, this is what works for me. This is what works for you. But I mean, on, there were tears on both of us and so much last year, but this year it hasn't really been the case. It's been very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, the reason we bring this up is because obviously we're not trying to take a stance one way or the other. I think you've got to do in whatever season you find yourself in, you know, you've got to decide, Hey, what is God calling us to do? Public school, private school, homeschool, for sure, that sort of thing. But we bring it up because the conversation we have today is with Misty Phillip. And when she reached out, she actually said, Hey, I think we could have a lot to talk about. Um, in fact, I'm really excited that you've been homeschooling your kids. I homeschooled my kids, uh, all growing up. And so I was like, man, I'd love to hear her thoughts on the other side of it. So we actually take kind of a rabbit trail and talk a little bit about homeschooling and some of the challenges that she faced in, in that. That's certainly not the extent of her story, her story, is uh, definitely got um, some major trials and and some hardship in it as well. But um, this conversation is is a really really great conversation with Misty. Yeah, yeah. And before we listen to that conversation, I'd like to read a review from somebody that um, just posted on iTunes. They said, "This podcast is a light in the valley of shadows." Gritty, yet filled with the testimony of God's unrelenting grip on His children and glimpses of redemption as we walk through soul-shattering brokenness, and we all await the day when He makes all things new. So thankful for this podcast. And as always, thank you so much for just rating us, writing reviews. It blesses us so much. Um, I want to remind you, if you're not following us on Instagram, nothing is wasted ministries. Um, if you're listening to an episode, feel free to mention us, let us know what you're listening to, what you think about what you're listening to, all that good stuff. Um, and so without further ado, let's listen to Davy's conversation with Misty. 
Misty, so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Davey. Now, you told me that you are in a hotel room in Dallas. Is that right? That's correct. I'm here for the Global Media Summit, and my husband is here for some business. So we left the kids at home and uh, came to Dallas for a quick little getaway. There you go. A little getaway without the kids, mixing business, pleasure. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. Now, where are you from originally? Where do you guys live? Well, we live in Houston. We live in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, with two of our three boys. And um, we have a wild and crazy boy house, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> now, so you have three boys total, but two of them are living in the house. Yeah. So uh, a 20 year old with profound special needs yeah. and his younger brother, uh, who's 17. Wow. Three boys. And we left the 17 year old in charge of the 20 year old. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's awesome. So what do you, what do you do? What is, what does life look like in the Phillips household? Yeah, so we are entering our final year of homeschooling after 20 years. Um, I know. So God called me out of my corporate job. I was working uh, for Enron at the time, and um, I was actually in a position where I was really well paid, and um, my husband was just kind of starting in his career, and uh, God said, I want you to stop. And I was like, what? Like, how are we going to make ends meet? Lord, are you sure? And the really funny part of that story is um, anybody who knew me in high school would probably laugh to know that I homeschooled my kids because I read the Cliff Notes. Do you know what Cliff Notes are? Just the the abbreviated version. I didn't read a book um, when I was in high school. And and then I became a homeschool mom (laughs) and I classically educated my kids, which is all literature based. So, God has a really funny sense of humor sometimes. That is hilarious. Maybe it was God's way of getting you into literature, like actually yes, reading something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe, you know, you didn't read then, so now I'm going to make you read now. So wow. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Tell me, well, before we step in your story, maybe this is part of your story. Maybe I'm going totally off the, the timeline right here, but we're in the homeschooling space. And we uh, often get asked the question, why, especially Christy, she has a, she's a PA, and so she could go into, you know, and she's a very kind of career driven woman. She could go into that space. She could make great money and she could um, establish and build a career for herself. And yet we wrestled through that same decision that in this season, it's supposed to be um, her at home with the kids. And, and I allowed her the space to make that decision, told her, I said, hey, I will be flexible doing whatever it is that God's calling us to do. Um, and yet she, and so we have people ask us all the time, like, why did you make that decision? What's going on? And um, it sounds like that this decision for you is very much a, a calling from Absolutely. the Lord. How did that decision, decision come about? What went into that? Well, um, I knew God had been calling me since my oldest was about three. I had a neighbor who homeschooled. She had three boys who were, um, her youngest was the same age as my oldest. And so mm-hmm. I watched her I watched their schedule, what they were doing, and I really felt the prompting from the Lord. And so I told my husband, and we lived in the house that my husband grew up in, Mm -hmm. and he went to the elementary school in the front of the neighborhood. And he said, that elementary school was good enough for me. It's good enough for my son. Homeschooling is weird because that was 20 years ago when it was not as mainstream as it is today. And he was like, why would you want to do that? Like, he didn't get it. And so I prayed, and I really sought God, and I knew that 
his heart had to be in it or we couldn't do it. And if mm. I didn't have his blessing, then I didn't want to do it. And so um, I prayed. We put him in school. Um, and that's when uh, we found out that my uh, middle son, Connor, had grand mal seizures on the day that the um, Enron wanted me to come in five days a week. So I had only worked part time at home um, two days a week. We lived next door to my in-laws. So my mother-in-law baby, I mean, we had this amazing setup and I knew God had been calling me to do it. And sometimes for me, I'm a little hard-headed, and uh, God has to do some big things to get mm. my attention. And so when he started having grand mal seizures, I mean, I knew. I knew mm. that it was what I needed to do, and my husband said, okay, let's try this homeschooling thing. So wow. I was dealing with— um, you know, profound medical issues with yeah. my son. Um, and then my oldest son, we decided to pull him out. So kind of all that started happening at once. But you know what, Davey, I would not have as hard as it was at certain points in the 20 years, because when they were in junior high, I wanted to go back to school. And mm. I was worried about, can I do high school? Like, am I even smart enough to do that? Um, but <laughs> God's grace is so sufficient and is so yeah. much more. And um I love my boys and my boys love us and we have an incredible relationship with them and they have an incredible relationship with each mm. other. And we were able to mentor them and pour God's word into them and um, just really help to mold and shape them to be the men that God created them to be. Wow! And so it's... Um, it's Yeah, I'd love to talk to Christy about it more. It's not easy, but it's definitely yeah. worth it. Yeah. Well, that, that's so awesome. I was kind of the same way when we were wrestling with that decision. I was like, and Christy went to public school as well, but I was like, you know, I went public school all my life and she was in public school all of her life and my mom's a teacher. And so there was definitely some work outside of school that, that we did that, you know, helped to bolster some of that stuff. But I had a great experience in public school, sports opportunities, same as Christy. So for us, when we felt God saying, homeschool, it didn't make any sense, particularly because what you said growing up to me, it seemed like, I know this is definitely a stigma and it's not necessarily a true stigma today, but it seemed like most of the people that I knew that were homeschooled had some kind of social awkwardness. They weren't, you know, so that was my concern was like, wait a minute, I don't want my kids to not have interactions with other kids because we're just leaving them here at home. But, and now it's so different with co-ops and um, and, and it's, it's just a different type of environment, but, it, but it, you're right. It's a calling. It has to be something that, that God calls you to for a reason. Yeah. And we committed it to prayer every year for every child because all mm. of our kids are different and their needs are different. And so every year we didn't take it for granted that we were just going to homeschool all the way through every year. We put it before the Lord and said, you know, is this right? Because for our middle son, there were years where he needed specialized, yeah. um, training that I wasn't able to take care of everybody and, and give to him. Yeah. And so we, and we had people come into the home to help us and we did all the different kinds of things. But, wow. you know, my oldest son graduated from high school, got a full ride scholarship to Houston Baptist University. And um, I mean, it was just an incredible blessing. He got a job afterwards working at a consulting firm with my husband mm. and people that were there said, um, how, how many years have you been a consultant? And he said, I just, I'm in college still. And they were so shocked because wow. he, 
carried himself in a way and could speak really well. All of the, this, and then they find out he was homeschooled and they're like, what? Wait, I thought what? homeschoolers couldn't talk. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, you guys certainly have, um, you, you've got some dynamics in your family that are, that are tough with your middle son. And so I want to, I want to talk a bit about that, but, but first your, your story starts well before that. Yeah. Um, let's, why don't you take me back? Let's, let's do kind of a deep dive into, into your story. Yeah, sure. So, um, I was born in Minnesota, moved to North Dakota to a small rural farming town in the seventies. And my parents were, um, my mom was, had grown up Lutheran. My dad had grown up Methodist and they really struggled in their marriage to find a church home. Mm. And, um, I was invited to vacation Bible school by a neighbor, I think. I don't know. I think it was um, an Assemblies of God because we have an Assemblies of God college in our town. And um, I walked an aisle at six years old and just, you know, my little heart was pounding in my chest. Like mm. I knew that that Jesus, like I wanted Jesus, right? right. Um, and but I didn't really grow up in the church. Then my family actually um, became Catholic, and but we didn't attend church all the time. Um, so we were really kind of like Christmas and Easter and some Sundays. And but I wasn't really discipled at all um, as a child. I didn't um, see a spiritual life that was really modeled for me. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And during that time my brother died. Mm. Uh, he was 21 and he fell off the roof of his house. And um, it was shocking and tragic. And it sent my mom, who probably already had some depression issues, yeah. some mental um, issues that she probably needed help with that were never diagnosed. Mm. And when my brother died, it just sent her into a tailspin. And, you know, she got really angry at God and she questioned, like, why would you do this? And so I saw my mom very angry. I saw it cause problems with my dad. I sort of had to step into the role of caregiver at, mm. you know, 12, 13 years old, taking care of my sister, um, trying to be there for my mom. And um, the enemy just wreaked havoc with me during mm. those days. I didn't have the tools that I have now. I didn't have the Word of God in me um, to, because the Word is our, is the sword, right? It's our, right. the sword of the Spirit that we use to um, combat those lies from the enemy. Well, I didn't have that, and the enemy uh, just ran amok with me. Yeah. And um I started drinking in junior high school and um, went out with some friends and was raped by mm. um, one of my friend's older brothers. And I came home and I didn't tell my parents because I was afraid uh, because I'd been out drinking. I didn't mm. want them to know. I mean, just the enemy just so messed with my mind so yeah. much. And, um, and, after that, I really, like, I dove deep. So I'm, I'm struggling, like I'm in school and I'm trying to do well, but then I start doing drugs because I have all this pain that had nowhere to go and, um, and lived a pretty awful teenage existence, mm. you know, just as far away from the Lord as I could possibly be. Yeah. And, um, 
I got pregnant during that time and had an abortion and hit just the deepest, darkest pit of my life. And, uh, you know, I was 17 years old and I was crying out to God uh, just to help me to fix my mess, you know. And I lived for many, many, many years with the guilt and the shame of that, Mm. um, that really took, I took that into my adulthood because here I had all this grief that I never dealt with. And, um, and then I felt unforgivable, like that I had committed an unforgivable sin. And, um, yeah, so that kind of, it really wreaked havoc on, Mm. on my life. Yeah. Wow. So you're, I mean, these are several back-to-back-to-back things that you walked through that any one of these things can really send somebody on a tailspin spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and yet you've got these that are are stacked up. Um, What was the turning point? When when did you, um, you know, I know that you said that you, you received Christ when you were at vacation Bible school at four years old, but when did when did things begin to kind of turn around there for you? Um, you know, as all of this is is layering on top of your your yeah. life in high school. So I began crying out to God, and um, He brought a young man into my life who was a Christian, mm-hmm. became my boyfriend, and. Um, and then we broke up and I was devastated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I thought he was the person that I was going to marry and spend the rest of my life with. And I was in college and I was alone. And at that point, I really w- I wanted to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I thought my life was over and I had nothing to live for. And... Um, I was walking down the road and I was like, if I just jump in front of a car because I was too chicken to like shoot myself or, Mm. you know, I didn't even have a gun. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like as a young person trying to figure this out and I was like, I'll just jump in front of a car. And then, I mean, how I I don't know that's really messed up, but that's where my mind was. I was completely a mess. And, um, and I said, God, if you are really real, then I need you to put somebody into my life to show me you. Mm. And, this guy drives by and, I mean, stops. And he was like, hey, do you need a ride? And I start talking to him, which is a dangerous situation in mm. itself. But, you know, God sent this this guy who was a Christian who um, who then bought me a Bible. I mean, gave me a ride home, prayed for me, bought me a Bible. Wow. I got into a church. I got into the Word. And um, that's when uh, my life started to turn around. Wow. So I finished my associate's degree and I moved back home to save money to go to college. And um, that's when I met my now husband. Wow. So I was out with my roommate and... Um, was in a pool hall playing pool Mm -hmm. and looked across the room and I saw this guy and I was like, I'm going to go talk to him. And so (laughs) I walked over there and um, it was my husband's brother. And, and he said, Hey, how are you? Well, he had a girlfriend that he'd had (laughs) since he was 14 years old. And um, he said, I'd love for you to meet my brother. And so he said, here's my brother. And, um, and the rest was history. He's like, I'm taken, but but here's my brother. That's <laughs> he right. Looks, he resembles me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's really funny.
I was recently a guest on a podcast and they were asking me a lot of questions about our web presence of all things. They brought me on and started talking about our web strategy and, and we talked about why we did our website the way that we did it. And what they don't know is that our secret sauce was a company called Makers. Makers works to empower small businesses through simplistic and innovative brand and web design. And they're located here in Indianapolis, but they serve clients all over the country and do everything from logo design to online stores. They not only gave us a complete makeover, they developed the brand for Nothing Is Wasted, help us think through how we lay out our website, and they are unbelievable people to work with. I'm telling you, Olivia and Jake with Makers, if you need web design, you need development, you need branding, you need logos, you've got to look them up. Makerscc.com. Make sure you consult them for all of your web design and branding needs. At this point, then, you know, this seemingly random but providential guy that drives down the street starts having conversation with you, you know, at the moment that you're praying, God, I'm just going to, you know, if you're real, you need to show me, but I think I'm going to jump out in front of a car. Yeah. God sends a car, sends a man. Yeah. And intercepts you in that moment to show you that he's real and that he, he wants you to, um, he wants you to get back on a different path. I, there's a couple of things that you, you were touching on as you were, you know, telling your story, but one of the biggest things that really jumped out to me was this shame and guilt you said that you were carrying around for so many years. Um, that is so prevalent, especially in, you know, the lives of, of if someone has been uh, raped or if, if someone has, you know, had an abortion or any, any of those kinds of things that you described for us, that's part of your story. Um, there's a tremendous amount of shame and guilt that is carried along with those things. Um, how did you get, how did you deal with that? How did you get rescued out of that shame and guilt? What does that, what does that look like? How does somebody, how does somebody not feel that anymore? You know? Yeah. Well, I, um, I felt it for many years and mm. even as a Christian, um, because in the church that I go to, we don't really talk about those kind of things. Not really. Mm. Um, and I would never, once I was in my young married Sunday school class with all these perfect other people, there's no way that I would, like, they didn't even know my past or, and I would never even mention it because I wouldn't want anybody to think less of me. Yeah. So I held on to that for many, many, many years. And it wasn't until I began writing, um, when I wrote a Bible study called The Struggle is Real, But So Is mm. God, because of all the struggles I've had in my life and where God over and over and over proved himself to be, uh, to be there, to be good. And um, it was in the process of that that I actually started to write for the first time um, because I'd never shared it. And so mm. it, it was only a couple of years ago that um, I felt the Lord nudging me, the Holy Spirit nudging me to go there as my editor was pushing me saying, you're not saying everything. You're not saying mm. everything. What else do you need to say? There's more that you're not saying. And I went away for the weekend and I just wrote it all, just raw as it could be. And I uh, came home and I told my husband, well, that same, so on a Friday night, I had gone to a Right to Life event and I had met 
Rebecca Kiesling, who's the head of an organization called Save the One. Mm. And she um, helps people uh, who have been raped. Um, she advocates the laws so that if people have been raped, that they still keep their babies. Mm. And uh, she said, we work with people, which that's a whole nother part of my testimony that I haven't shared yet, yeah. um, that have hard cases. And uh, she invited me to come to be part of their speaking team. Mm. Well, so that happens on Friday. Saturday, I, I go to a, a prayer event with some friends. Then I go check myself into a hotel and then I write my entire story out. And two weeks later, I was in Atlanta with the Save the One group. And I heard all of these people sh ter uh, tell their stories of being conceived and raped or being raped and then not giving their babies up or, mm. um, incest and just all of these in incredibly difficult things. And I just, God broke my heart. Mm. And I just sat there and wept as I heard testimony after testimony. And I knew that if they could be bold with their story, that I could be bold with my story. And mm. so the first thing I had to do was go back and tell my children um, mm. because I, I knew that I had to tell my boys. Um mm. And so I did. I, I, t I got home. I told my husband, I said, I really feel like God's calling me to share this part of my story because I don't feel like people in the church are talking about this subject. Mm. And because there are, because for me, I was never able to walk into the fullness of what I knew God was calling me to do because mm. I held on to that sin. Mm. That was the one sin that I had held on to that even though I had prayed and asked the Lord for forgiveness, I still held on to it. So I wasn't walking in freedom with it. And when I came back home and I told my husband, he was like, yes, you, you definitely need to pray, you know, tell the boys. And so I took my boys out to a restaurant and I told them all about my trip. And then I told them what happened. And my oldest son reached over and he just rubbed my arm so tenderly and mm. gently and said, mom, there is nothing that you could do that would ever make us not love you. Mm. And, you know, isn't that like the love of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Um, because we hold on to the sin, but he died and did all the work for us on the cross. Mm. And he just wants us to, you know, give it back to him, right? So that we can exchange our sin um, for his grace and his mercy and his love. Mm. So essentially, one of the ways that you were able to break free from that, the bondage of the shame and the guilt was getting it out into the air exposing, yeah. exposing it to light, telling people about it. Um, how, to what degree would you say that that is necessary and essential, you know, to someone who maybe they've experienced this, they're, they're holding on to it, but it, it's essential to their healing. How would you, how would you, um, comment on that? Yeah, I say I, it's absolutely essential. I mean, they don't have to write a book about it. They don't have to tell the world about it. But um, when I was able to vo put voice to it and um, understand 
I mean, I already knew that I was forgiven, right? But once I was able to put voice to it, then I was able to walk in freedom. So that's why I can sit here today and tell you and tell whoever is on the other side of this podcast, I I couldn't have done that, you know, even five years ago. There's no way that I would even tell anybody. Um, So now I'm walking in a whole new level of freedom. So I think it's essential Mm. that you, um, and I think that other people in the church particularly um, need, because the statistics, Davey, are that one in three people in the church has had an abortion. Mm. So if you think about that, that there's men that are affected on that, there's women that are affected on that. And if you look around your church, how many people are carrying that weight and that burden that Mm. even though they may have asked for forgiveness, but they haven't voiced it, so they're not walking in the fullness of, of who God wants them to be. And so that's why I really think it's critical that the church talk about it and that we talk about it as individuals so that we can um, help other people to walk in freedom too. Yeah. Which one of those conversations was the hardest for you? You know, you told your husband, then you told your kids, and then you, you know, telling, had to start telling, telling other kids, people. You know, they're just telling my kids yeah. because I didn't want them to look at me different or... Um, mm. And once I once I told them, and they responded with such compassion and love, um, then I mm. it emboldened me to be able to share the story with other people. Wow, wow! I think that's what you know. Most people fear when they are going to disclose any kind of hidden sin or something they've been ha- hanging on to for a while is that people are going to look at them differently. And certainly, there is. Um, there's merit to the fact that you have to find safe people to tell it to. Absolutely. You know, if you, if there are going to be people who are not going to be safe and they're going to carry that conversation outside of the walls of that conversation, or they're going to um, uh, respond in a condescending or judgmental manner. But when you find safe people and you, you open yourself up to them, and then you see their response and the response is compassion, not judgment. There's something powerful that happens in that. Yeah. There's something amazing. And it, you know, you're saying that, I mean, there was like this, like this, the scales, the callousness kind of dropped when your son grabbed your arm and said, Hey, we, there's nothing you can do that's going to yeah. make us look at you differently. Yeah. That's powerful. It is. And it, it, and you're right. It's a it's a hot topic in our culture in it particular, is. and people are very passionate on one side of it or the other. Yeah. And so when I went to go speak in Atlanta, um, there was a picture taken of me holding a sign that said the doctor wanted me to abort my child, and I didn't because that's part of our story mm. of having a baby with trisomy 18. Yeah. And when um, when he was diagnosed with that, the doctors said. You know, we want, you should, uh, you know, you should abort. And we said, he's fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has a purpose and a plan for his life, no matter how long he lives. And and the only way, reason that I could stand and say those things, because I knew the ramifications um, from my past. Um, But while I was there, I was holding a sign with all these other people. And there was a picture taken. It was put on the internet. Then somebody blacked out my face and blacked out the other people's faces and someone who is um, a rabid pro-choice 
person put my picture on Twitter and mm-hmm. said some awful things about me and this group. And then my daughter-in-law saw it and she was devastated. So um, I was so glad that I had already talked to my boys about it, um, talked to his wife about it, mm-hmm. was able to bring it all up in the open so that then I could respond. Um, and I just knew, like, Lord, if I'm going to share this testimony, people are not going to, it's going to, it's it's going to be divisive. It's going to be, it's a hot topic, right? Yeah. But God gives us the grace to to walk through that. If he calls us to do something, then he's going to give us the grace that we need to walk mm. through it. Okay, shed some light on this for me, because you're right, this is a very hot topic. Um, it's in a lot of the political rhetoric, rhetoric today. I mean, right now, there's a lot of conversations going on. I just saw a news article about my home state, Alabama, where I grew up, um, making abortion illegal. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of uh, policy that is being passed down about this. There's a lot of conversation about it. Why, from your perspective, because you've got such a unique perspective on this, Misty, I, I had no idea that the doctor advised you to abort your middle child. And we'll, I want to get into a lot of this. Well, and it's not even my middle child. Oh. It was actually my last child. Oh, my last seventh child, child uh, would be my seventh child. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So I want to get into all this in a second. But first, what... Um, why do you suppose this is such a, a hot topic? Why is this something that is so polarizing and so divisive from your perspective? Yeah, because I think that people are deceived. I really do. Because um, we know that God created the world as a Christians. We know that God created life. But I know that there's a great deception in the world that we have mm. an enemy who is um, in control of this world. And I think people's hearts are hardened. And I think a lot of people that maybe have had an abortion um, and don't have forgiveness and don't have a savior, that their hearts are really hardened. And so they're rabid about it. Mm. And the reason I say deception is because I know that I was deceived because I had, had been mm. doing drugs and I felt like the that if there was a baby in there, that it would be totally deformed and, and that it would die. I mean, the enemy just like so, so many thoughts that were just crazy. He just, um, he just deceived me that, that like, I felt that that was my only option wow. was was to have an abortion. And um, and then he wreaked havoc with me after I did. So that's why I, I really feel that it's, it's a deception. Mm. The enemy tends to do that in our lives with anything, with any kind of temptation, sin. He tempts us, he lures us in, you know, hey, this is your only option or this is the, the best option or this is the thing that's going to satisfy you or that's going to fix it or solve it. And then after you do that thing that he lures you in to do, he points his accusing finger and condemns. Yeah. It's like this double whammy that he consistently is is doing to God's children. And um, man, okay, so t- tell me a little bit about um, this, when the doctor approached you. Okay, so this was your seventh kid. This may be yeah. totally so out of timeline. Let me just go Why don't back you give me to, some timeline to, to, here? Let me because Misty, pool your life is fascinating. I'm like, my wait a minute. Is, my life is crazy. Oh, wow. um, let me go back to the pool room. So I met my husband and uh, there there was uh, about a week into us dating, there was a, a couple at the pool hall and they had a baby and I was like, oh, a baby. And oh. so I'm holding the baby. My husband 
who wasn't my husband then, he was like, put that baby down. Um, <laughs> You're and, holding uh, a random stranger's baby. <laughs> yes. Well, um, but well, he knew what holding babies does for women's mm. hormones. And um, about a month later, I was pregnant. Uh, wow. So I not was not from pregnant. holding the baby. Let's just clarify. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were not married. Um, mm. I did not want to get married. I only knew him for a month, and I didn't know that he was going to. I wanted to get married once. I wanted it to be this amazing experience that every girl dreams of her wedding. And even though my life up to that point had been pretty chaotic, it was what I dreamed of. And so. Mm. Um, so we moved in together and we were kind of testing the waters and my dad died. Um, oh, man. And, you know, every little girl dreams of having her daddy at her wedding yeah. and dancing with him. And um, it just devastated me. But at the same time, the Lord was so gracious to me because it um, put me into my husband's arms and uh, really mm solidified our relationship. Um, and that was the first time that I was able to start grieving the death of my brother. So my mm. brother died when I was 12, and I did not grieve that loss until I was 22. Wow. So it was 10 years. And when the floodgates opened, yeah. it just all came out. Yeah. Tell me what that looked like 10 years later, grieving that process. Yeah. Well, I was pregnant and hormonal and a mess. And yeah. um and just let my husband was so good. He grew up in an amazing home with incredible parents. And he grew up uh, just with a loving family. And he's just a really neat guy. And he just really um, helped me with all of my brokenness and mm -hmm. help me get through all of that and help me to cry and help me to grieve and help me to process all of these things that had been bottled up inside me for so many years. And um, so we eventually got married. Mm. Um, we had gone to the Catholic church because he had grown up Catholic and the last church I attended was a, a Catholic church. And so I said, well, we'll do that. And he said, well, I won't marry you because you're living in sin and and we were like, okay, this is ridiculous. We already have the baby. Like we were trying to do the right thing, yeah. which was um, really neat because it sent us on a spiritual journey as a couple. And so we started trying all of these different churches. And we ended up in a fundamental Baptist church. <laughs> <laughs> and we both got baptized together and we got married. And um, uh, God just started taking our life in a whole new direction. Mm. And... Um, that's when uh, we had our son, and five years after that, we had our second son. Mm. And uh, Connor uh, is his name, and Connor was born um, with they didn't we didn't have all the really cool um, you know we had ultrasounds, but it was really only out of medical necessity. They didn't do them like they do today with yeah. all the fun pictures and all of that. So he was born with club feet, and mm. they were really severe. They were upside down and backwards. And we had no idea until he was born. Wow. And um, the doctor that cast him took his feet from being upside down to like being in a permanent position. He was not a pediatric doctor and, and they're supposed to like serial cast him. So it's done like mm. really slowly. And he just put his feet in. And oh, a week later, we were in the emergency room getting his cast cut off. And oh. that's how Connor's 
that's how Connor entered, entered the world. And, and then it was ear infection and then he couldn't nurse cause he was having sucking problems and, um, just all of these things. Uh, he was in, um, the hospital for surgery at two months old. We had his first operation mm. and the pin came out of his foot. So a couple weeks later, we were back in the hospital having another operation on that same foot. While he was there, he got the rotovirus, which is a diarrhea oh virus with casts all the way up to his diaper. Oh. I mean, the, wow. we spent, you know, we were in and out of the hospital and, you know, that's when um, God called me because I, I was working. He called me out of my work to come home, to care for this child, to homeschool, to do all these things. And um, life, you know, we thought, okay, we got through this and it's going to get easy. Well, yeah. it didn't get easy because right after that, I had a tubal pregnancy mm. and almost died. Uh, the doctor removed the tubal pregnancy. I was in surgery. I been was hemorrhaging that morning. And uh, the, my husband, he had told, the doctor had told us that it would be just a short procedure. Um and, you know, three and a half hours later, the doctor's not back. And my husband is like, what is going on? Well, I, I nearly died that day. And oh the gosh. doctor wanted to tie my tubes. He was like, you know, and I said, no. I mean, I think that I'm supposed to have more kids. And um, so I would always argue with him, you know, every time yeah. I went to go see him, tie your tubes. No. <laughs> you know, and mm. I'd pray and seek God and and it was like, no. So then my third, then we had our third son, who his name is Ian. And I went, um, we were at a Sunday school function and I started spotting, you know, six mm. weeks into my pregnancy, but not just spotting. I started like gushing blood and I thought, mm. oh Lord, please no. And everybody you know, sat me down. They all laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I went on bed rest for the rest of that pregnancy. So I was homeschooling from the couch oh and gosh. taking care of this special needs child um, who didn't walk when he was supposed to. He didn't talk when he was supposed to. Um, I mean, life was crazy. And then we lived next door to my mother-in-law and father-in-law who both got brain tumors at the same time. Jeez. So we were trying to care. And my husband um, quit his job to start his own company. So we were like, we were all oh home gosh. all together all the time, barely making ends meet. And, um, you know, God just showed up in such big, amazing ways during those really, really difficult days. My, um, I just poured over my Bible because it was what I clung to. It's what got me through um, all of those difficult things. Wow. Um, then I had a miscarriage after that, uh, later, um, you know, we really trusted God with the number of kids that we would, we said, Lord, it's, it's your womb. You would, you know, give us what you want. And, uh, yeah. so we had a miscarriage and that was really hard because it's the death of a hope. You know, you have this mm -hmm. hope of this baby. And then when you have that loss, it's really devastating. And it was really, really hard on me. And, um, but we just trusted God, you know, with what was next. And I went several years without being pregnant. Um, what I didn't know then that I know now is I have a condition called uh, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which mm. makes it very difficult for you to get pregnant. Um, so each child that we have is a huge blessing. A miracle, but, yeah. Yeah, but I turned 40, and we thought that um, that 
the Lord was done with us, like for, for having kids. And yeah. uh, it was my son's 17th birthday. He's born December 9th. And we found out that I was pregnant uh, again. And we were so thrilled. I mean, we were just so excited. And um, when we went to find out if we were having a boy or having a girl, because I was hoping that maybe we would have a girl, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're in that right now yep. when you're like, boy, <laughs> girl. Yeah. So we go to the ultrasound to see what we're going to have. That's why we thought we were there was, right. <laughs> you know, to find out what we were going to have. Right. And uh, that's when we found out that um, our son, Liam, only had two chambers in his heart mm. and his arms and legs were deformed and um, he had cystic fibrosis and mm. his brain was not properly formed. And that's when the doctor said, mm. you know, people in your situation typically abort their, their children. And, you know, we knew for me, having an abortion, then having a special needs child who has been in and out of the hospital, you know, for the last 20 years, um, we knew, like, we, we counted the cost, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but we knew that if God allowed this to happen, that um, we were going to carry it through no matter no matter what. And wow. so we, um, he was still born um, mm. about 22 weeks and so we, I, we birthed him, we held him, uh, wow. you know, and, and at 22 weeks, you can see these tiny little fingers and tiny little toes mm. and perfectly formed lips. And we could see just all of these amazing uh, features that he had. And, you know, oh, he looks like you, dad, or, you know, because mm. we all, our kids were with us and we held him and we took lots of pictures and we prayed over him and then we released him to the Lord. Wow. Misty, I know you and I have had a conversation prior to this conversation. And when we had that conversation, I walked away going, wow, that she's gone through a lot. And I feel like I'm feeling that on 10 times right now. You you have had to deal with grief and loss and heartache and trial and adversity on levels that very few people have had to, and it's thing after thing after thing after thing. But you said something earlier that, you know, while you guys were asking the question, when is life going to kind of get easier, slow down, or this is going to change, or, you know, we're going to have a stretch where it's, it's not this, but you said God showed up in these spaces. If I'm sitting here listening to your story and I'm not a believer, I'm asking the question, how in the world is God showing up in your situation? Like, what do you, like, how do you say that? Can you, can you shed some light on that? Where was, where has God been in all of this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love, you know, that I, as a Christian, I feel like there are no mm. coincidences. There's no accidents. And at the time, um, of when I was pregnant, uh, a book had come out by a, an author mm. named Ann Voskamp, who was a homeschool mom, and she had written mm. this book called A Thousand Gifts. And my friend's like, oh, you should really check out her blog and check out this book. And so I bought the book, and um, Ann's really right. deep. And so I would read little bits of the book, and I had it on my nightstand, and I would you know, get tired and fall asleep. Finally, I really got into the book, and her book is all about— um, 
finding mm. things to be grateful for in the everyday. Um, you know, a thousand different ways that we can just have this heart of gratitude. And so that really affected me and mm. shifted my focus to being, you know, instead of being concerned that my belly was growing, um, I just began mm. praising God that I was pregnant again and that I could feel my son moving in me. And even though I didn't know how long he would be there, I just began, um, I just shifted my focus to a heart of gratitude that every day that I was pregnant, yeah. I praised God. And I praised God that I was able to birth him and see him and all along the way. And so I think that that for mm. me, Davy, is really the thing that changed everything was when I took my eyes off of my yeah. problem and and I focused on the Lord. I had people coming to me who knew that our baby probably wouldn't live, that we didn't know how long he would live, what the circumstances were. And they would come to me and, and call me and say, what, you know, how can I help you? What can I do for you? And I was so close mm. to the Lord at that time because I just... I poured it all out on him. And as I poured it all out on him, his peace washed over me mm. like a river. And my friends would walk away going, I tried to minister to you wow. and you ministered to me. Um, they just didn't get, I mean, it was like, it was kind of crazy. And I can't really explain it other than when we pour our hurts mm. out to the Lord, um, we received that balm of um of love and peace and joy and all of the fruits of the spirit that um, yeah. just fill us up. And, you know, we had a funeral for our son. And one of the things that was really critical for me at that funeral, because remember I told you that my mom was mm -hmm. a nominal believer at best. Um, I really wanted mm. the gospel shared because I had preached the gospel to my mom in every sort of direction that I could till I was standing mm -hmm. on my head practically. You know, she had all these questions. And um, and so I just asked our pastor and we sang songs of like the Lord gives mm -hmm. and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so my mom who had lost my brother and who became angry and who questioned God saw mm -hmm. her daughter walk through the loss of her son in a way that was honoring to the Lord. And my mm. mom didn't get it. She didn't. But the pastor was so clear with the gospel that I think that whole situation really mm. tenderized my mom's heart. And before my mom died, um, she did accept the Lord as her oh. Savior. And um, I know that just seeing me walk through that was part of the, that reason. And yeah. other people who, one one person came up to me at the funeral and said, I didn't get, why are you doing this? Like, mm -hmm. why, you know, because she had miscarried and never really memorialized that baby. And I said, because I have these other boys who had a brother mm. that they will never see. And we need to grieve. And yeah. grieving, we have to grieve this loss. Um, right. It's important. And, um, after this, the ceremony, because it was so God-honoring and so full of love. And she said, wow, Misty, I didn't get it. She said, but you get it. Thank mm. you so much for doing this, because in the funeral for your baby, I grieved the loss of my baby that I never grieved. Wow. Um, 
So, you know, God just shows up in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, In the midst of our trials and struggles, sometimes we might go, where are you, God? Like, I don't see you in this. But Mm. then in other times, He's working through all of it. He's always working, right? And He's always working together for good um, uh, for those who are called according to His purposes. And we were called according to His purposes, and He was using it for good. Yeah. Well, you so aptly said it, you've got to grieve those losses and you've experienced so many losses over the course of your life in one, you know, by one nature or another. And what I think what you're seeing and what I want our listeners to understand is that as you experience losses, you actually are strengthened if you grieve those, if you step into it, enter into it, you're strengthened for the next trial that comes your way for the next loss that um, that quite possibly is going to, to come your way. But if you don't grieve those, if you don't enter into that space, then these layers of losses can pile up and they can really send you into a very broken and unhealthy place. Um, you know, and so I want to just encourage the listeners. I'm encouraged by hearing how you guys have walked through that and grieved those really well. And I want to encourage the listener to grieve your losses, whatever it is, yeah. write those down, grieve them. But then also list everything that you're grateful for. This right here, this is paramount, I think, Misty, what you're saying, this gratitude thing. There's so much secular psych- psychological research that you know, even secular psychologists are saying it's important to be grateful. It's like imperative to your you know, mental health, mental and emotional health. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm glad you guys have figured that out because scripture talks about that all the time. You know, <laughs> consider it joy, brothers, when you endure hardships of many kind, is what James says. It's this is fine. Well, and he'll those give you um, gladness, you know, he'll give yes. beauty for ashes. That's right. Um, wow. Now you're doing a lot of uh, writing and blogging and ministering out of a lot of this this space right now. Tell me what's what are you what are you doing with this? This is is so cool to even just kind of see some of your stuff on on your website and some of the ministry that you're 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 doing out of your misery, so to speak. What what does this look like for you? Yeah. Well the first time I spoke about our son um and was in a was for Right to Life group, the Texas Right to Life. And they had asked mm. me to speak a month after he was gone, which mm. was pretty crazy and I didn't know that I was ready. But I did because it's considered a hard case. Like when people when their yeah. doctor tells them your baby probably won't live, um you know, most people abort. When And then they right. go see the genetic counselor who says most people abort. You know, we wanted to give them another story and say even, um, you know, that, that they're fearfully That's and wonderfully good. made. And yeah. um, so anyway, I, um, I started speaking a little bit and then I retreated because I, mm. I was like, I don't know <laughs> that I can do this. I was still homeschooling my kids. And then my oldest son went to college and he still lived at mm. home at uh, and commuted back and forth. And I went to college with them for the welcome days. And they said, Mom, it's time to go. And I was like, oh, wait, I can't go to college with him. Um, <laughs> and um, I had a really wise friend who said, Misty, because that whole thing of letting go of your children is really hard, after, especially mm-hmm. after having them in the home and having such a close relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And she said, Misty, you should start writing and um, just journaling. And so mm-hmm. I, I really journaled a lot. And um, and then I just started praying like what the next season of life would look like. And that's when God um, 
called me to um, to write and to speak. And now I have a podcast as well. And mm. so I wrote a Bible study that just recently came out called The Struggle is Real, But So Is God. And it's all about mm. overcoming and what the Bible says about overcoming. And I, wow. I start in Genesis and I end in Revelation because there are promises to overcomers. And um, so anyway, it's an in-depth Bible study. Awesome. And at the same time, I started the podcast um, where I interview people in their struggles and how God has met them in the middle of their struggles mm. and um, how he's seen them through. Because just like what your podcast is doing, I think it's so important for us to know that we're not alone. Because in right. those struggles, when you're going through really hard things, sometimes you think, you know, I'm the only one who's going, you know, but yeah. Jesus suffered. And Jesus, the last thing he said to us was, in this world, you will have tribulation. Uh, but right. then he said, take heart because I've overcome the world. So um, mm. that's really where my writing and my blog and my speaking and all of it comes to that. So I still do some pro-life speaking and I am a Bible teacher and um, and my next, I've, God has already birthed that next book, which is my pro-life mm. story because um, I really want to help um, women who have been through that to release that yeah. and to walk in freedom. Wow. Well, it's so needed. And I'm so glad that um, you're being given a voice in this space because you you stand in this space in a really interesting and unique perspective. And you know you're right. You guys had a had an, a moment where you had to count the cost on whether or not you you abort. You understood what that looked like because you're you're parenting someone with special needs. You have so many different ways you're able to speak into this kind of, these kinds of pain that people are dealing with. And so, um, thank you. I'm glad you're doing that. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. And thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your story. This has been really awesome. So where can people follow you if they want to tune into more of what you're doing? Yeah, they can find all the things at (laughs) mistyphillip.com. So um, there's no S. Everybody tries to put an S on the end of Philip. It's not Phillips, it's Phillips. So mistyphillip.com, that's my home base. They can find me all over online at Misty Phillip. Great. That's awesome. We'll put a link to that on our podcast page. But Misty, thanks so much for spending some time with me and sharing your story. Excellent. Thank you, Davey. Davey, that was an incredible conversation with Misty. Um, I I honestly can't believe everything that she went through. Mm -hmm. It was so much, but um, I love my, I think my favorite part is when she said that she poured over God's word. And as I was listening to her interview, it reminded me of Psalm 119.92 that said, Mm. if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And then verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promises give me life. And I, as I was listening to her talk, it was evident that she was clinging to the word and it was um, helping her persevere through her trial. And yeah, it just made me want to cherish God's word even more. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that Mel, because Mm -hmm. there's so much literature out there right now. This is, I mean, trial, emotional health, you know, hardship, uh, working through anxiety, depression, all of these things. There's so much literature about this. People are writing on it. They're blogging on it. They're preaching about it. They're talking about it. It's on YouTube, all of this stuff. 
And at the end of the day, sometimes I feel like we can become so inoculated in that we're trying to find the helpful tips and tricks and all of that stuff that we miss the, that the bedrock of healing comes from God's word. Yeah. That God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword that it will uh, not just not just cut through and and convict the heart, but I think that double-edged sword can also become the scalpel that heals the heart. It's the surgical mm-hmm. procedure that God uses on our heart to show us where he's calling us to, who we are in this whole navigating our valley. And so I, I, want, I don't want people to overlook God's word in pursuit of all of this other information that we have out there. And what I always want for our ministry is that it's God's word being breathed out of us into people's life, because that's the only thing that has power Mm. is God's spirit speaking God's word and, and us leaning into that. That's where true healing comes from. That's really good, Davey. That's really good. I wanted to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I can't even tell you that I have a favorite of Sleeping at Last music because he has so much good stuff. So go <laughs> check him out. Um, you can find him on uh, any any place that music is streamed. Uh, just search for Sleeping at Last. And before we sign off this week, here is a clip of next week's episode with Ginger Sprouse. You know, I would say back in my old life, right before I really came to know who the Lord was, my philosophy was get a job, mm. like get away from my car and get a job. What you're lazy. Why are you on the street? It's ridiculous. There, there's no reason for no one to be working. Mm. So compassionate I was. <laughs> um, and, and then, um, you know, working at the homeless ministry, what happened was, is I really got to know some people. And it, it started because I had this cooking school. I would have food left over, so I would donate it. And the lady mm-hmm. that was part of that ministry t- became a very dear friend of mine. And so I would go sometimes at lunch and just hang out. And I got to know the people. Mm. And I would I would be like, what's your story, man? What, Like, why are you here? What happened? And, you know, I mean, there were people with felonies. There were drug addicts. There were people that, you know, were married to somebody and their spouse ran off with all their money. And, and I mean, just a million different stories. And I, it began to give me some perspective that not everybody was lazy. And mm. there were some people on the street that wanted to be there and had no desire to do anything beyond what they were doing. There were some who desperately wanted help. And so every single story looked different to me. And it just really, it's putting, it's it's building those relationships where you're getting to know people and seeing mm-hmm. that everybody's different. And, and I'll tell you, when I started with Victor, my friend who ran that shelter, she said, Do not get personally involved. 